0: standard day but there's a fellow sitting in his car with his feet kind of on the sidewalk and you know I, I felt the prompt to go over and, and visit with him I said maybe you're waiting for somebody in here like I'm waiting for somebody in there yeah you don't have car trouble do you no I said well that, I see that's a VW and there's a guy over in Mead. I don't know why my mouth got started a guy over in Mead who works on these things he's got a, a funny name like wolf W-I-L-F German he's a curmudgeonly sort of guy I don't know why I said that either But he squirmed a little bit, reached in his pocket, and handed me his card. It was Wolf. (laughs) I I, I learned a couple things from that. Not more than a couple. (laughs) Know who you're talking to. Realize how wicked the tongue can be. And use it for positive things instead of curmudgeonly things. We have a a very interesting sermon challenge. The rogue in your mouth. I've met one. It's mine. (laughs) But here are twelve verses. We won't go the whole chapter yet, but twelve verses... And it takes down to five before the fellow mentions tongue. And yet the topic is taming the tongue, the rogue in your mouth. I'd like to read that for you. There's a lesson in it for me, I know. Maybe there's one for you. It's a kind of a scattered thing, and you may have difficulty pulling all the pieces together. A number of different analogies, comparisons, time James 3 verse 1 not many of you should presume to be teachers my brothers because because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly we all stumble in many ways if anyone is never at fault in what he says he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large, so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small Part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Contrast here. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, We curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Thank you for your kind and reverent attention to the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks for that living illustration, too, Gail. Um, we. Oh. <laughs> You can. <laughs> James didn't say that, but it's true. Um, I, Ron, I, uh, I got blessed by you being blessed this morning. <laughs> I don't know how many of you know, um, Ron is taking on an assignment of his own when he and Linda go back to Arizona this not one more week. Oh, bummer. Uh, Ron will be leading a congregation down there in the park. Is that what we call it, where they live? And it's a pretty healthy-sized congregation. And so um, he feels like God has called him to do this, and I know he would appreciate your prayers as as he assumes the leadership of that body there um, in Arizona. And then just a reminder about uh, praying for our neighbors you know, we pick five. We pray five blessings five minutes a day. I'm going to throw out the five weeks because I think we just need to keep praying for them, okay? Um, we're probably going to get tired of hearing about um, the mouth because I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on it. Um, Here's, here's one real good reason, and it's back in the first chapter of James, in verse 26, where it says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. We don't want worthless religion. So, um, yeah, we'll be spending some time here. Just some uh, ideas, uh, examples Somebody said, um, dear readers, and I, this was from the Columbus Dispatch a number of years ago. Dear readers, and you thought there was nothing funny about the law. David Broom of Phoenix sent these questions taken from official court records. Lawyers have put to people on the stand. So these are questions lawyers asked people on the stand. Question one, was that the same nose you broke as a child? (laughs) Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, in most cases he just passes quietly away and doesn't know anything about it until the next morning? (laughs) These are true things. Was it you or your brother that was killed in the war? The youngest son, the 20-year-old, how old is he? (laughs) Were you alone or by yourself? How long have you been a French-Canadian? Did you have any children or anything of that kind? (laughs) Did you have any children or anything of that kind? I show you Exhibit 3 and ask you if you recognize the picture. Yes, that's me. Were you present when the picture was taken? (laughs) Is that me that's the... (coughs) Yeah, I don't know where that's coming from, but... Now, it might not be so bad... If the things that come out of our mouths at times that shouldn't come out were merely humorous, kind of like these questions. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Sometimes the things that come out of our mouths are thoughtless, hurtful, destructive. Probably everyone here today can think of something that was said to them at some point in their lives that had a negative impact. In the church, church people can be quick to avoid murder and stealing and committing adultery or drunkenness. You know, those things, those overt things that everybody can see. But without thinking, we can assassinate others and leave destruction in our wake by the way we use our tongues. You know, some of those things I just mentioned are not great temptations for a lot of us, but the tongue, boy, that's an ongoing battle. That's why we're going to spend time on it. You know, James is writing to the church here. A wise man once said, I have often regretted my speech, never my silence. And if you've ever regretted your speech, then this series of messages is for you. And for me. In verse one, um, you know, it it, it opens up talking about um, many of, not many of you should presume to be teachers. Apparently, uh, many people that James was writing to were seeking to get into teaching positions. My, how things have changed! It seems that the church, in the church today we have a much different problem, but. In James' day, teaching was a coveted position, perhaps because it was uh, viewed as a prestigious thing. And what does that have to do with the importance of the tongue? Well, the purpose of teaching is to influence students toward the truth in the church. At least we hope that's the purpose. And the teacher's primary interest uh, instrument of teaching is the tongue, speech. In this case, the teachers are to be teaching the Word of God, the content of the Christian faith. (coughs) So, this is literally, what they're teaching, (coughs) excuse me, is literally a matter of eternal life or death. So, for such weighty matters as this, there are heavy consequences. And because the consequences of using Our tongues in teaching are so important. This is something we need to take seriously. That's what James is saying. And we need to take it seriously, really, whether we're teachers or not, because our words still have an impact on others. Let me give you a few examples of the importance of accurate communication. When Gerber, you know, Gerber baby food... When Gerber first started selling baby food in Africa, they used the same packaging as here in the U.S. with the cute baby on the label. Later they found out that in uh, Africa, many companies routinely put pictures on the label of what is inside since a lot of people cannot read. Oops. Oops. When Coca-Cola first shipped to China, they named the product something that when pronounced sounded like Coca-Cola. The only problem was that the characters used meant bite the wax tadpole. They later changed to a set of characters that meant happiness in the mouth. When Pepsi started marketing its products in China a few years back, they translated their slogan, Pepsi brings you back to life, pretty literally. The slogan in Chinese really meant, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. Coors put its slogan, Turn It Loose, into Spanish, where when it was read, where it was read as suffer from diarrhea. You could see how it turned out. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, Spanish speakers, what does Nova mean? no Don't go. Don't go. <laughs> the Chevy Nova never sold well in Spanish-speaking countries. Because no law means <laughs> <to>, no go.
2: <laughs>
1: well, so James, James highlights the importance of the tongue by what he says then in these verses that we read, were read for us today. He says that if you never stumble in your speech, then you are perfect and are able to control your whole body, your whole person. Wouldn't that be nice? If you can control your tongue, you can control everything else. the The Greek word used for "keep in check" literally means "bridled." The same verse is used. Uh, the same words used in verse one, uh, excuse me, chapter one, verse twenty-six, where it says, "If anyone considers himself Religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, bridled. If you can't control your tongue, you can't control your life and your religion is worthless. So, James is trying to impress upon us the importance of the tongue. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 verses 36 and 37... But I tell you that men will have to give account on the Day of Judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Yikes. Every careless word. For by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. You know, during World War I, enemy spies used to hang around the British pubs to hear loose talk about ship movements. Sailors would talk about their next assignments, where they were going, when they were leaving, vital information for the German submarines. Just a few careless words would tip the enemy off and had the potential then of the loss of thousands of lives. A slogan was raised to remind people of the terrible de- devastation that could result from words ill spoken. You probably know what it is loose lips sink ships. And so because the problem of careless talk was so great, the government began to post posters all, all over with that slogan on it, loose lips, sink ships. So we're going to look this morning at the pernicious power of the tongue. And the first thing James talks about is that, it, is that the domination of the tongue. The tongue's influence is not in proportion to its size. The tongue's influence is not in proportion to its size. And he talks about bits in the mouths of animals, in horses in particular. You know, even a child can control a horse that weighs hundreds, hundreds of pounds more than that child does because of the bit in its mouth. He talks about the rudder on a ship some ships have incredible size and weight, and there's a pilot at the wheel of the ship, one person that can control where that ship goes by that rudder. And the, the issue here is not only about the rudder, which compared to the size of the ship is quite small, but also about who is in control of the rudder. We're in control of the rudder. Uh, How many of you remember um, Karen Carpenter? There'll never be a voice like that again, I don't think. Um, She was very, really popular back in the 70s, and she died in 1983 of heart failure. Most people know that her heart attack was caused by anorexia. Basically, she starved herself to death. But but what started it all? According to a 1988 CBS television movie, the Karen Carpenter story, her fatal obsession with weight began when a reviewer called her Richard Carpenter's chubby sister. That little phrase was all it took to start her on a tragic journey of self-destruction. Now, obviously... She had other issues in her life to begin with, and the author, the the author of the article didn't blame her underlying psychological problems. See, and he he had no intent of of causing her harm with what he wrote. Nevertheless, the the person who wrote that article saying calling her Richard Carpenter's chubby little sister had no idea the profound effect that those few words would have on her life. We can probably all, in our minds, as we search the memory banks, think of things that were said to us that we still remember clearly. So, Think about the power of the tongue. Adolf Hitler had a powerful and poisonous tongue. With it, he laid out his strategy for making Germany the rulers of the world. By his powerful rhetoric, he inflamed the German nations so that they could, without conscience, slaughter millions of Jews and put together a ruthless machine that set out to conquer the world. What a powerful and deadly tongue Hitler had. On the other side of the war were great speakers leading the allied nations. Winston Churchill roused the sleeping nation of England to battle courageously against overwhelming odds. FDR, with his fireside chats and speeches, encouraged the United States to fight for the world's freedom. It would be impossible to overestimate how important is the use of the tongue. That little instrument of communication That was used both in starting the war and bringing it to an end. What incredible power to encourage and destroy. So, James then begins to talk about the damage of the tongue, the damage it can cause. Like fire and poison, the tongue has potential to do incredible harm. He says, the tongue is like a fire. Now, fire can be good when kept under control, or a very bad thing in the wrong place and out of control. And such is the tongue. We can, be, we can be like those mythical dragons who breathe fire and cause such great destruction. On the other hand, we can be like a fire in the fireplace that brings comfort and warmth. Warmth. Both can come from the same time. It has the potential for incredible damage. It's, it's, James says it's like a deadly poison. And in the Greek, the picture here is that of a poisonous snake. And we know that depending on the snake, it can impact you differently. Some venom kills quickly. Some kills more slowly. Some is survivable and merely makes you sick, but it's all poison. In Proverbs chapter sixteen, verses twenty seven and twenty-eight it says, A scoundrel plots evil and his speech is like a scorching fire. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. In Galatians five fifteen, Paul writes, If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It has to do with what people are saying. In Proverbs 18 verse 21, it tells us that the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Remember Paul Harvey's the rest of the story? Well, he did one called Off the Wall. In 1899, four newspaper reporters from Denver, Colorado, set out to tear down the Great Wall of China. They almost succeeded, literally. The four met by chance on Saturday night in a Denver railway depot. Al Stevens, Jack Tournay, John Lewis, Hal Wilshire. They represented the four Denver newspapers, The Times, The Post, The Republican, the Rocky Mountain News. Each had been sent by his respected newspaper to dig up a story, any story, for the Sunday editions. So the reporters were in the railroad station hoping to snag a visiting celebrity should one happen to arrive that evening by train. None arrived that evening by train or otherwise. The reporters started commiserating. For them, no news was bad news. All were facing empty-handed return trips to their city desks. Al declared that he was going to make up a story and hand it in. The others laughed. Someone suggested they walk over to the Oxford Hotel and have a beer. They did. Jack said he liked Al's idea about faking a story. Why didn't each of them fake a story and get off the hook? John said Jack was thinking too small. Four half-baked fakes didn't cut it. What they needed was one real whopper they could all use another round of beers. This might have influenced their thinking. A phony domestic story would be easy to check on. So, they began discussing foreign angles that would be difficult to verify. And that is the rest of the story. China was distant enough, it was agreed, they would write about China. John leaned forward, gesturing dramatically in the dim light of the ballroom, uh, with the barroom. Try this one, he said. group of American engineers stopping over in Denver en route to China. The Chinese government is making plans to demolish the Great Wall. Our engineers are bidding on the job. Harold was skeptical. Why would the Chinese want to destroy the Great Wall of China? John thought for a moment. They're tearing down the ancient boundary to symbolize international goodwill to welcome foreign trade another round of beers by 11 p.m. the four reporters had worked out the details of their preposterous story after leaving the oxford bar they would go over to the windsor hotel they would sign four fictitious names to the hotel register they would instruct the desk clerk to tell anyone uh, to tell anyone why that four new yorkers had arrived that evening had been interviewed by reporters had left early the next morning for california The Denver newspapers carried this story, all four of them. Front page. In fact, the Times headline that Sunday read, Great Chinese Wall Doom, Peking Seeks World Trade. Of course, the story was a phony. A ludicrous fabrication concocted by four capricious newsmen in a hotel bar. But their story was taken seriously. Was picked up and expanded by newspapers in the eastern U.S. and then by newspapers abroad. When the Chinese themselves learned that the Americans were sending a demolition crew to tear down their national monument, most were indignant, some were enraged. Particularly incensed were the members of a secret society, a volatile group of Chinese patriots who were already wary of foreign intervention. They, inspired by the story, exploded. Rampaged against the foreign embassies in Peking and slaughtered hundreds of missionaries. In two months, 12,000 troops from six countries joined forces, invaded China with the purpose of protecting their own countrymen. The bloodshed which followed, sparked by a journalistic hoax, invented in a barroom in Denver, became the white-hot international conflagration known to every high school student as the Boxer Rebellion. Hmm. Go to thunk. The damage the tongue can do. And then James goes on to talk about the duplicity of the tongue. Which he says is a natural impossibility. In nature, this does not happen. This kind of duplicity. Fresh and salt water from the same spring? No. Olives from a fig tree? Does not happen. Figs from a grapevine, that doesn't happen either. In nature, there is not this kind of duplicity. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20, "...by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit." Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. James is giving examples, just as Jesus did, of impossibilities in nature. It just doesn't happen. And then he says, it's not only impossible in in nature, but there's a spiritual incongruity here too. He says, we praise God and we curse men with the same tongue. One of the strangest cases of a man using his tongue to bless God and curse man relates to Augustus M. Toplady. He blessed God with the beautiful hymn of adoration that he penned, Rock of Ages. It is a moving biblical tribute to Christ and his finished work of redemption. Yet the same mouth cursed man, saying of the great John Wesley, when John Wesley was past 70 and top lady, a ministerial novice of only 30. He said this of Wesley. He is a lurking assassin, guilty of audacity and falsehood, a knave, guilty of mean, malicious impotence. He he is an Ishmaelite, a bigot, a papist, a defamer, a reviler, a liar, without the honesty of a heathen, an impudent slanderer with satanic guilt only exceeded by Satan himself, if even by him. He's an echo of Satan. Same guy who wrote Rock of Ages. Incredible. But I would guess that if you're like me, you've been guilty of something like that. The same mouth that's praised God has had ill to speak of someone else. During the Exodus, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they came to a place called Merah. When they came to Merah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. Then Moses called out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And just as it it is possible only for God to turn water into sweet that has been bitter, Only God can transform a bitter soul into a sweet soul, a bitter tongue into a sweet tongue. It's a supernatural thing. Tongue control. Tongue control is made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember the fruits of the Spirit? Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What? Self-control. And the self that needs to be controlled the most is often this self right here. Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 12 make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Holy Spirit. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. He's speaking to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You brood of vipers how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart The mouth speaks. Oh, man. So I want to close today with a prayer that I found. Dear God, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped, lost my temper, been nasty, or selfish or overindulgent. But in a few moments, God, I'm going to get out of bed. (laughs) And from then on, I'm going to need all the help I can get. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Amen. So what is God saying to us? Oh, all the good stuff we can do and all the bad stuff we can avoid can be wiped out. Our witness can be wiped out by just what comes out of here. God help us. We need His help, don't we? We need His help. We were talking in Sunday school this morning. It said Jesus was full of grace and truth. Truth needs to come out of our mouths, but it needs to be filled with grace. Amen? That's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Father, we come to you today as people that keenly recognize our need for your help in this area. We can say, well, I've got my ducks in a row. I do the good things, I don't do the bad things, but oh, my mouth. Oh, my mouth. Lord God, by the work of your Holy Spirit in us, we pray for that fruit that is self-control. Because we we can do all these good works. We can avoid all the bad things and our witness can be wiped out in a moment just because of a few words that come out of our mouth that are hurtful or Defaming or insulting or critical or judgmental or whatever it may be. Help us, Lord, to control this rudder, this bridle, this small thing that has such powerful impact. For your honor and glory. And the witness of our lives for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen.